Well, happy Easter to each and every one of you. Thank you again for taking this time to worship God today. And my prayer is that we would each be encouraged as we worship Him. So I'm the kind of person who I kind of take pride in my ability to um, deal with difficult circumstances without getting too rattled by them, be able to move ahead. Maybe it's because I'm a guy, you know, maybe it's because I'm a leader. But the last 12 months have really burst my bubble. I mean, I have faced one thing after another over these last 12 months that is just like, it was just almost overwhelming to me. I mean, I, I literally had some times where I was thinking about, now, how close am I to retirement? Or, you know, can I go work at McDonald's and be okay? I mean, there were so many things that were happening, and it was just, um, and I started thinking things like, well, you know, I have this amazing wife, and I have a wonderful family. Why am I struggling with this stuff? Or... You know, I've got a job when a lot of people don't. I still have my house. And besides, Doug, you're a Christian, right? Christians aren't supposed to feel bad, are they? And you're a preacher, right? You spend all day praying. You know, you've got this hotline to God. Why, why should things like that bother you? And it just, no matter what I did, I just seemed like I just kept feeling like I couldn't keep my head above water so many times over the last 12 months. My guess is some of you completely understand what I've faced because you have faced that and even more. You know, for those of you who are moms, you've had to figure out the whole teacher thing. You didn't sign up to be a teacher, but now you got to be a teacher all year long. And it was like, I don't really even know how to do this. And those of you who are teachers, you had to figure out the whole online thing. And are we doing it online? Are we doing it in person? Are we doing it both online and in person? And it, it's like we face these kind of circumstances. Some of you you, you can't even sleep through the night. You keep waking up at 3 a.m. every single morning because of the stress and the concern and the worry that you have. Some of you haven't even seen any of your family other than by video or something. You know, you can't even be with them. Some of you have lost friends and even family members to death this year, and you couldn't even gather to mourn with them. It's like we face time after time and no matter what it is, we seem like we try to do to overcome that, you know? Do exercise, eat healthy, see a counselor. It just seems like it just keeps coming back. And it's like this wave keeps crashing into us and we can't keep our head above water. It's almost like we just have lost all hope. I think that's how the early followers of Jesus felt on that Friday night as they were preparing to take Jesus down from the cross. Luke says this in Luke, the end of Luke chapter 23. He writes these words, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Why did he ask for Jesus' body? Because Jesus is dead. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home. They prepared spices, perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to God's command. See, Jesus is dead. I mean, these people who had followed him, some of them for two, three years, who had put all their hope in him, suddenly come face to face with the reality that Jesus is dead. 
And that would be so overwhelming to them on that Friday night as they take Jesus down from the cross. It's like as his life ebbed out, their hope ebbed out. But we know that's not the end of the story. We know that God directed Luke to not only carefully investigate all of the things that were surrounding the life of Jesus, but to record what is the most significant event in all of history, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. That Jesus himself is alive. So today, here's what I want to invite you to do. It's a pretty simple thing. But I want to invite you to take a look into the empty tomb. To imagine up here there's this big, huge rock wall with a hole in it, and it's the tomb of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to invite you to just take a moment and look into the empty tomb. Because in my mind, I look at it and say, if death is no big deal for God, then is there anything in your life and my life that God cannot deal with and help us to overcome and help us to face? So I want to invite you to do a simple thing today, look in the empty tomb. So we're in this series entitled Rescue, which is talking about from the Gospel of Luke, because we're in Luke the whole year long, the Gospel of Luke, we're talking about God's plan since eternity to rescue um, mankind through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. And so we come to Luke chapter 24 today, and so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, use your phone, your tablet, those online, you can use the tab there, there's Bibles in the seat, some of the seats under there. But I want to invite you to turn to Luke 24, because God uses Luke to write about two different groups of people who did what I'm inviting you to do. They just kind of looked into the tomb. One group was a group of women, the other one was Peter. But as they looked into this empty tomb, something happened to them. Hope began to become real to them. What I want to encourage you to catch today is simply this, that when discouragement overwhelms, I want you to look at the empty tomb. So I'm going to read from Luke 24, the first 12 verses. So you can follow along on the screen, you can follow along in your Bible, but here's what Luke writes. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They rolled the stone away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, so kind of hold on to that word, we'll talk about it in a minute. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said, why do you Look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Everybody say those last three words with me. He has risen. Say it one more time. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, God knows 
how often we struggle with discouragement and disappointment in our lives. I think that's why he had Luke give us this glimpse of these two groups of people who looked into the tomb. So the first group was the women, okay? So they go to the tomb early in the morning. So again, here's what Luke says there in verse 1. He says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So why were they coming to the tomb? They were coming to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. They had the spices and everything, but they couldn't do it on Friday night. And the reason was because they were Jewish. And the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night. So they only had time to get the body off the cross, Joseph did, to get it into the tomb, kind of get it wrapped up and everything. And then they had to go home. So it's early Sunday morning, and they're walking to the tomb. Now, as they're walking to the tomb, what do you think they're talking about? Well, they're talking about Jesus, right? I mean, isn't that what you do when somebody has just recently died? You talk about them. You tell funny stories about them. You cry about them. And so these ladies are walking, and they've got to be telling stories about Jesus. Remember when he did this? But I think one of the things they remember most about what Jesus did for them was how he gave them this sense of value and dignity and respect as women that was not typical in that culture. Now, what were they expecting to find when they arrived at the tomb? A dead body, right? That's why they were going there, to prepare the dead body. So when they come, what's gone wrong? The stone is rolled away, <clears throat> they bend down or they look into there, and the body is gone. There's no Jesus. And they were wondering about this when what happens? Two angels show up. So look there in verse uh, 4. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleam like lightning. Now, that's not a fashion statement. These weren't really bright clothes or anything as far as, you know, right kind of detergent. They're angels, okay? Um, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and I love this, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So they notice the stone's gone, they look in there, and Jesus isn't there, there's no body, and then these angels show up to them. Now, I would love to have been picked by God to be one of the angels to get to deliver this good news. First of all, because every single time an angel shows up in scriptures, the person they show up to freaks out. So that'd be kind of fun, right? You get to freak people out when you show up, but they always get to deliver good news. I love delivering good news. This week, I get to deliver some really good news to my kids, and I'm excited about it. Imagine the angels. What are you doing looking for a dead person here He's not dead, he's alive. He's not here, he's risen. And they begin to think about this, and in their minds you can just kind of see the wheels turn. It's like, risen, you mean as in still breathing, as in not D-E-A-D -E anymore? You mean he really is alive? And then the angels say to them, remember when he told you. I hate it when I forget things. I'm pretty good at forgetting things. Remember when he told you. And they begin to share the words that Jesus said, Luke at least records at least three times that Jesus said something like these words. Like, for instance, Luke 9, 22. 
Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. That's like a year and a half before Jesus actually dies on the cross. And then on in Luke 9, 44, this is a few days later, <clears throat> he says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. He even says listen carefully, right? Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And then a few months later in Luke chapter 18, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. They should have been at the tomb looking for Jesus to come out alive. But they were there looking for a dead body. And then they remembered his words. So what do they do? They leave the tomb and they run back to the other followers of Jesus. They call them the eleven there. Look at verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. So they're telling them what they've seen. And the, all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So the 11, who we're talking about there, these are the guys Jesus handpicked to be the future leaders of the church. There were 12 of them, but Judas betrayed Jesus, right? He went and killed himself, so there's only 11 of them. These are the guys who are going to lead the church. You would think anybody who was there would have remembered what Jesus said. It would have been this group of guys. That they should have been. They weren't even at the tomb. At least the women were there. They had no idea that Jesus was alive. They were so overwhelmed by their discouragement, they couldn't believe what the women were saying to them. You know, it wasn't that it was because they were women it was because it didn't make sense to them. It was nonsense. In other words, dead people stay dead. That's just a fact of life. They were so overwhelmed by their own grief, they couldn't even hear the words that the women were saying to them, except for one person, right? And who was that? It was Peter. So what does Peter do? Look at verse 12 there. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what must have happened. So why do you think Peter was the only one who ran to the tomb? I think it's because Peter was still so overwhelmed by the grief and turmoil that he had from the fact that he denied Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. He stabbed Jesus in the back at the moment Jesus needed him when he was on trial for his own life. And so I think what's happening is Peter is hearing the words of the women, and it's like he's thinking about what he did to Jesus. And, you know, he's so impetuous, but I think in his mind he's thinking to himself, could it be maybe? And so what's he do? He hightails it out of there, and he runs all the way to the tomb. And when he gets to the tomb, what does he do? It says he bends over and he looks in the tomb. Now, why did he bend over? It's because he was out of shape. He couldn't run all that way, right? He was exhausted, so he had to bend over as he's looking into the tomb there. That's my addition, possibly. But he looks into the tomb. There's no Jesus. There's no body in there. In fact, what's interesting is what does Luke say is actually in the tomb? He says there are strips of linen in there. In other words, parts of what he was wrapped up in. 
Again, you got to understand this about Luke. Luke was a doctor, and he was very careful about the things that he wrote. He investigated very carefully. He corroborated all of the witness accounts. And so he made sure he put something in there that would be an evidence against one of the lies that the religious leaders were telling in that day. One of the other gospel accounts said that they put around the lie that it was the disciples of Jesus who stole the dead body of Jesus out of the grave, and then they claimed that Jesus was alive. But if you're going to steal a dead body, which hopefully you won't do that, you're, you're going to get it as quick as you possibly can and get out of there. You're not going to take time to unwrap it because, I mean, what's grosser than carrying a dead body is carrying a naked dead body, right? You're not going to try to get out. And so Luke leaves that in there so that as Peter looks in there and then as you and I look in there, we see just yet another piece of evidence about the fact that Jesus is not dead. And then it says, Peter walks away, and it uses that word, Peter was wondering what this might mean. So I pointed out that earlier, the women also wondered about Jesus, right? And in the English, or the New International, which I used, that version, it's both the same word, wonder, but they're actually two different words in the Greek. The word that Luke uses to describe the women, as they see the stone rolled away, they look in and no body, they wondered, that, that word means that they were perplexed, they were confused, they didn't know what was going on here. But the word that's used for, that Luke uses for Peter wondering, is a word that means more about kind of this amazement, like, could this possibly be true? Now, Peter was not all the way there in believing that Jesus was alive at this point. But he's starting to take a step that direction. He's starting to move that direction. He's starting to think to himself, could it actually be? So two glimpses into the tomb. So what does that matter to you and I? To me, it matters that if I look into the tomb and it's empty, that means that Death is no big deal to God. And if death is no big deal to God, what is it that you and I might face in our life that God can't help us face and deal with and even be able to overcome? Because I think the, the empty tomb is the evidence that God can do literally anything, even when it seems like our world is falling apart. I think there are some of you in here today who really need to hear this message because you're this close to giving up. Maybe you're this close to giving up on your marriage. I mean, it was struggle enough as it was before in the last 12 months have almost been like a nail in the coffin. Maybe you're just this much close to not going back to school because it's just too hard. The way, you know, all this online stuff, it's just so difficult to do. Maybe you're this close to quitting yet another job. Maybe you're, you're, you're this close to giving up on God. Or sadly, maybe you're this close to giving up on life. I invite you to look into the empty tomb. Now, you may be like the women. When they look into this empty tomb and they hear the message, you know, that the angels give to them, I mean, I think for them it was like they believed. They knew it was true. They hadn't seen Jesus, but they knew it was true. But maybe you're more like Peter. You know, you bend over, you look into the tomb, you see the strips of linen, nobody, Jesus isn't there. And you're not all the way there, but maybe this glimpse into the tomb has helped you to begin 
to take a step towards believing that what God says about Jesus just might possibly be true. What could happen in our lives if we really grabbed a hold of the hope that comes through the power of God and what he did for us on the cross? What might happen? Imagine, imagine the impact on our community, people who just live around in this area. If people were able to begin to see life from a perspective of hope, even though it's tough and even though it's difficult, I can see God's power working. Imagine what it might do in your family. If you began to see some hope that could actually come because of the power of God and recognize and realize what God can do, imagine what it could do in our church. If as a church family, we really recognize the hope that God has and the difference that he can make, even in the face of the most difficult of circumstances. But imagine how it might impact how you deal with stress or you deal with worry anxiety, the things that come your way, how you deal with the stress at work, or imagine having hope in the face of even the difficulties in your life. Imagine what it could do for you. If we could just look into the empty tomb, what a difference it might make. So I want you to hear the story of one of our ladies who did just that, allowed God to make such an impact in her life. Let's listen together. Hi, my name's Kara, and I'd like to share with you how God has rescued me. Um, I grew up in, in a loving home. I grew up in the church. Um, I was a cheerleader in high school, and I had a lot of friends. I noticed in high school that I really started to experience some anxiety and worry, and um, I knew that it wasn't anything like my friends were going through. So I talked to my mom about it, and I would explain to her what was going on, and she would say, oh, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And, as long as she would say that, then I could let it go and I didn't have to worry about it. So, um, you know, fast forward to college and I'm away in Tennessee and my mom isn't there. So, you know, by my second year, I was really out of control with my anxiety and my worrying. So um, I, went to the, I went to the doctor and I learned that I have something called obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a mental disorder that can be really debilitating. So for those of you that don't know what that is, it's having repetitive thoughts or intrusive thoughts, things that, that can be really scary and uncomfortable, and they continue to repeat themselves over and over and make you question. So I ended up leaving school to come home to get the support that I needed. You know, when you're first diagnosed with something like this, you know, you don't have the coping skills that you need. And um, I was looking for some relief and I started to do drugs. And I can remember the first time that I got high, all that noise in my head and all the repetitive things that would just really cause me stress and anxiety just got quiet. And so I continued to do drugs and, and drink alcohol for the next 19 years. Um, during that time, I suffered the loss of my values. I suffered the loss of my integrity. I was a liar and I was a thief. And I would tell myself, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna take any more pills. And I would tell myself these last bottle lies over and over again. And every time I would say I wasn't gonna do it, I really meant it from the bottom of my heart, but I just couldn't seem to get clean. July 4th, 2016, everything in my world just came crashing down. It was a day that 
I can remember being, you know, really messed up on drugs and alcohol, and I can just remember seeing the destruction that I caused and the fear um, in my family's eyes. And I just knew something had to change. Something had to be different. I started thinking about what that looked like for me, and I ended up calling my doctor and telling him everything. He put me in touch with a drug abuse counselor, and I began to see her, and I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and Narcotics Anonymous meetings, um, but most importantly, I surrendered to God. When I surrendered to Jesus, it was like I had a spiritual awakening. Everything in my life um, just kind of started to turn around. I was filled with a peace that only comes from God. I learned that when I committed to pray to God, that we started to grow this relationship. And the more that I would come to him, the closer I got to him. And God began to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And God was loving me when I was learning to love myself again. And I don't know what kind of brokenness you have and the things that you're going through, but I can promise you that no matter what it is, God is there and he's waiting for you to come to him. He is waiting for you to reach out to him so he can rescue you. So will you let Jesus rescue you? So here's what I want to invite you to do, okay? For the next seven days, I want to encourage you when life starts getting stressful and frustrating and anxiety or worry or stress just starts mounting and you begin to feel that overwhelming feeling. I just want to encourage you over the next seven days just to step back and take a deep breath. Put your hands on your knees if you need to and turn and look at that empty tomb. Because when we look at that empty tomb, we recognize that if God has the power to overcome death, God can work in the midst of your life and my life no matter what. Because when discouragement overwhelms, we need to look into this empty tomb and let God work in our lives. I mean, for me over the last year, I mean, it's, it's really for me, it's a battle in my mind. You know, I mean, it, it's easy to say I know what's true and what's right, but it's a matter of being able to step back and say, you know what, Doug, the things that you're wrestling with in your life, they're big and they're difficult and they're challenging. But you serve a God who is bigger than any of those issues that you face. And it doesn't make it automatically go away, and it's a long-term kind of a process, but it's a daily reminder of what is true and real, that God loves me, that God values me, that God wants to work in my life and that no matter what it is I've been doing or I've done, that God is there to rescue me and to help me and to strengthen me. So this week we had a very special setup in here. We uh, got to experience the life of Jesus Christ those last few days of his life. But then the last station we had was a place in which we invited everyone who participated to to write down the date or a date in which they felt like God had rescued them. And so that's what these little bottles represent up here. These are the different dates of what people wrote down on there. Some people put a whole year, some people put a very specific date. 
For some people, it was the day that they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they put that down. That is definitely a day God rescued us. But maybe there's a different day that God rescued you, because oftentimes he comes multiple ways in our lives. For Kara, it would be July the 4th, 2016. For me, it would be February 2013. What would it be for you? And again, maybe you're not all the way there like the women, but maybe you're beginning to take a step back towards Jesus and recognizing he can give me hope. Maybe today is the day that you begin the road back to letting Jesus rescue you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to just sit and reflect as we listen to a very powerful song and a message And as we sing, or as we listen to this song, as you think about the words in your mind, reflect on what Jesus can do in your life and ask yourself, am I willing to let him do that? Am I willing to take that step towards him to allow him to rescue me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your power that death is nothing to you, Lord that you planned since the beginning of, the time, of time to rescue us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for that, we are so grateful. And right now, as we reflect, Lord, draw us into your presence. Lord, help us to see that you are the only one who can truly rescue us. It's in your most precious name we pray. Amen. not hidden there's never been a moment you were forgotten you are not hopeless though you have been broken your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear I'll be your armor I hear 